This is Daniel Figelli. You're listening to the AI and Business Podcast, and this is our second episode of AI Success Factors. Those of you who've been with us for a while, you know that this is the show where non-technical leaders stay ahead of the AI curve for their career and the business that they work with. Every week on Tuesday, we publish use cases and AI trends. We interview the best and brightest Fortune 100 AI leaders, leaders of unicorn AI startups, uh, venture capitalists, and everything in between. But now every Monday, we're going to be dropping an episode about AI success factors. These are short episodes, 12 to 15 minutes, focused on one AI project, one real AI project in the enterprise, and exactly what one or two factors led to its success. So a tangible result and what helped it win. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. We started this series to be like a shot of espresso at the beginning of the week to get some pivotal insights on how to turn AI into ROI. No matter what sector you're in, the success factors are topics and themes that transcend your industry. Over the course of the coming months, we're going to be covering data infrastructure, teams, you name it. And in today's episode, we look inside one of the AI applications in one of the largest enterprise businesses in all of the United States of America. We talk about how a crawl, walk, run approach to doing the boring data infrastructure, data silo work first can lead to big, exciting results of tens of millions of dollars in savings. Our guest this week is Bina Amanath. She is currently the executive director of the Global Deloitte AI Institute. She is the founder of Humans for AI, an organization that provides AI education for women and underrepresented minorities. But her career is illustrious. She was recently the CTO of Artificial Intelligence for all of Hewlett-Packard. And before that, she was a VP of Data Science and Innovation at General Electric. And today, we go under the hood. And one of the projects that she worked on hands-on in General Electric, one of their early AI projects around procurement. Uh, So whether your business is involved in a lot of procurement or not, the big lesson here is what crawl, walk, run looks like when it's done right. And when I say done right, again, I mean leads to tens of millions in savings. Uh, So we're glad to be able to have Bina with us here, and I'm glad to be able to have you with us. This is a short episode, and that is intentional. I hope you get a lot out of it. Without further ado, let's fly right in. This is Bina with Deloitte here on the AI and Business Podcast. So, Bina, you're able to join us here on AI Success Factors, and I know we're going to be uh, speaking about a use case that's close to you. I want to open up by talking about what was the business problem and situation of this enterprise AI use case, and we'll begin with that. Yes, and this was very specifically tied to supply chain and sourcing. And here was a problem. Uh, The company had over 400 ERP systems. So the data was distributed in all these different systems. And what the challenge was, our sourcing leaders across the organization were paying different prices for the exact same part from the exact same vendor. Mm. And the price difference was up to 15x the difference. And there was no way to match it. So that was the problem that we we wanted to solve with AI. Wow. Okay. So 15x uh, the price of a part that, I mean, I was, you know, even 15% wiggle room would be consequential if we're talking about, you know, building cars or other kinds of equipment, but 15x is monumental. And just so I have an understanding, which career role were you in when when you were working on this project? This was for a very large equipment manufacturer. Got it. Back in your GE days? 
Yes. Okay, in your GE days. Okay, so cool. So yeah, and for the audience's perspective, Bina was VP of Data Science and Innovation at GE, so I got to see up close and personal a lot of these big and complicated projects. So there's few companies in the world that are doing as much sourcing of physical equipment as, as GE, and you got to see all sorts of other folks working on this. So we've got this big problem. Obviously, the bottom line, this is huge. The data silos are huge. What were the biggest challenges? When you think about the hardest parts to yeah. face here, what were those in this case? It was being able to get data from these, you know, so many different sources and how do you synthesize it together so that, you know, we could actually provide a match. So it was not necessarily an AI problem at that point. It was more of a data problem. It was, you know, being able to eliminate data silos and bring it together in a data lake and then synthesize it together. Got it. Okay. So just handling, you know, you mentioned 400 ERP systems. Did I hear you correctly? Yes, that's yeah. so, right. So it sounds like that splintered fragmentation was the number one barrier from what you're saying. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And then, you know, as you know, ERP systems are very safely guarded and they're black box types. It's not the same field names. It's not the same yeah. descriptions. So it's very hard to retrieve. So May I jump into the solution? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's talk about how the heck we solved yeah. this. So talk a little bit about how you solved it and then what the results were, because I know this was one you're proud of. Yeah. So, you know, so we said we are going to just focus on bomb data, bill of materials, because that's what we would need for the initial, you know, matching of the data. And the idea was to put a sourcing app in the hands of our sourcing leaders who could then search by a part number to see who was paying what from which vendor for the part, right? So it was it was just about get, so that's what we did. We got the bomb data all together into a data lake and then matched it and put a nice app and gave it to our sourcing leaders who, can, who could then type in either the part number or the part description and get a full view of who was paying what across the company for the same part. And what that enabled them to do was to negotiate better with the supplier. Got it. And I can see, well, yeah, I can see a tremendous amount of negotiating power when we can talk to the supplier and say, hey, I know you're doing business with these other three parts of, of our firm, and I know that this is kind of the price range we're paying here. We can really level set and make sure we're not paying 15 times more in those particular circumstances, right? Exactly. And we also maybe get more negotiating leverage because now we can talk about the total exactly. volume of orders, which is going to allow us to, to maybe find some way to discount things because we actually know how much yes. we're, we're really buying. That was the first iteration, right? Because yes. and there was not much AI. This was simple. I was going to say, yeah, that's, it sounded like right? it sounded like BI but to me yeah, initially. Yeah, yeah, and but you know, and I'll tie in a little bit with the uh, you know the success factor that you were asking, right? And just by doing this, we were able to see over seventy million dollars in savings in the first twelve months, because you know, just given the sheer volume and scale of this, right? Yeah. What we did in the background, so, you know, it was a simple app that our sourcing leaders got and we did the, all this, you know, structured data mapping. What we did in the background after that first rollout was to actually then go down to the engineering drawings to be able to do the match. So in the background, we actually refined our matching process so that you don't have to describe, you don't have to search by a part number. The search becomes easier if you can, say, put in the dimensions of the part or you can put in a more descriptive input field, right? We made it easier to access unstructured data. We've got in engineering drawings 
to be able to tie into the part to improve the match. And that was the really cool part. But here's the thing, Dan, you know, our end users, our sourcing leaders had no idea that we were refining because it didn't really change their app. Their results improved, but they didn't really know, right? And I think that is, for me, is the biggest success factor when your Mm. users do not really need to know that whether it's AI being used or whether it's a data lake that's being used, right? And the cool factor is they continue to use the app. We had made it better in the background and we improved those matches and they just didn't know that, you know, anything had changed. And just continued. So I think the biggest lesson that I would say is don't try to force fit AI. My whole career has been built on the fact show incremental value, right? It doesn't matter, you know, it may be their first iteration is more BI-ish and data warehouse type, data lake, and that's fine. You know, show that value and then keep iterating and building on it. Don't go for that, you know, two-year project. Try to, you know, take those incremental steps and get the buyer, get your stakeholder bought in to the concept. So for me, that's why, you know, I think this is one of those success stories which truly made the data scientists, you know, do cool things, but it didn't really, you know, impact the end users in the long run. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's so much to get into here and there's really, I'm seeing actually kind of two success factors you're bringing up that are great, but I want to quickly clarify where AI was used and make sure the listeners can see it in their mind almost as clearly as you can. What I think you're saying is step one, let's reach out across all these crazy silos. Let's find ways to merge fields, merge names in kind of a, a pure BI data lake way and just say, can we have one unified place to do like a damn search and find what we're actually looking for across these systems. That's that's step one. We don't maybe need as much data science going on. Step two, if I'm hearing you correctly, was we're leveraging AI. Part of it felt like it was identifying visuals. So we have a lot of graphics loaded up. We're able to maybe identify commonalities based on which things have the same graphics. So one might be called XYS C25 part. The other one yeah. could, could be called ABC you know, 123 yeah. part. But it wouldn't matter because the name doesn't have to match. The graphics match, so we know it's the same part. Yes, exactly. So that was more of the computer vision image analytics. And then we made the search better where you could enter it in plain English. That's NLP. Yeah. To really be able to, you know, pull in the right match based on, you know, making it easier for the end user to, you know, put it in simple English. Totally makes sense. Yeah. So the other side of this is the search and discovery side of things where instead of typing in part a, B, three, dash, one, two, and then we get the right item. Instead of that saying, you know, brake pads or something, right? And then yeah. we just get all the categories of brake pads and we could pick among them. Of course, AI would have to find out how to categorize those things. And there's a lot of iteration that goes into that. I imagine it took a while yeah. to get that good. But two takeaways that I'm taking home, and I, I, we can refine these as we wrap up. This is a, we've gotten right to the meat and potatoes really quickly, which is awesome. One thing was your users are using the same darn interface. It's just smarter and they don't even realize it. That's one thing. Two, you were able to find value through this roadmap. So step one for BI, value. Step two for maybe some NLP in there, value. Step three for computer vision, value. It wasn't just, let's use the coolest computer vision to find all of our sourcing info. It was a real one, two, three, if I'm hearing you correctly. 
Absolutely. You summarized it very well, Dan. Nice. All right. Well, yeah, the idea of, of having a roadmap is something that we think is really, really important is think about the value you can build along the way. It's not just reaching the North Star. It's what's going to build that data maturity, that that AI fluency, whatever it is, what's going to add value, but also have some near-term ROI that can be a new platform. We now stand at a higher level and now we can work on the next tier of things. So it feels like that for you is a big win. And the fact that your users had no damn idea what was going on was also a win. Uh-huh. Cool. Yes. All right. Well, for everybody tuned in, I think you're all going to find that minimal change to workflow is the name of the game when it comes to making enterprise AI click. Sometimes it's not possible, but when it is, it can lead to some wins. And we just heard about a big $70 million win from Bina's career. So Bina, I know that's all we have for time on this one, but thank you so much for getting right to it with us in the AI Success Factor series. Thank you for having me, Dan. And that's a wrap for this episode. Hopefully that was helpful for you. I certainly appreciate Bina being here. And thank you to you, our listener, for tuning in all the way through on this episode. As you'll notice, these are brief episodes, but I hope that they are useful. There's so many more things to learn. When we put this series together, the idea was, what is the most transferable thing where we can learn from everybody because we're great at being able to talk to the head of AI Raytheon, head of AI US Bank, founders of great companies, and ask them about what's working in AI, trends, use cases, etc. And the idea was, what are the insights that are going to apply to everybody, no matter what industry, whether you're a consultant or an enterprise person, healthcare, banking, whether you're in Asia or whether you're in the United States. And the general idea that we heard back from our listeners was, what makes it work? What leads to ROI? And so that's what this series is focused on. I sincerely hope uh, you're getting something out of it. And again, I think today, uh, hearing about kind of the basic business intelligence muckwork that helped to set the table for AI is one of the steps that many enterprises miss and that hopefully sunk in like a dart into the ears of our listeners today as something that you don't want to miss or miss with your clients if you happen to be a consultant. So again, we'll wrap this episode up. I look forward to catching you tomorrow. Again, every Tuesday, we still cover AI use cases, trends, and ROI. We're still doing that. But every Monday now, we've got this shot of espresso called the AI Success Factor Series. And thanks for tuning in to the second episode of that series. I look forward to catching you next week in the next one and tomorrow in our normally scheduled program. Thanks again. Catch you soon.